Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. And I want to welcome all of you that have been listening to this show all along. Many of you listen to my daytime shows that I do. And some of you are popping in for the first time. So we want to welcome everyone that has found this station, that has found this show. Uh, and I'm your host, Dr. Pat Basile. I am the host of the Dr. Pat Show. I'm also the creator of Crust Busting. And the show originated as Crust Busting Your Way to an Awesome Life. And the listeners, you all renamed it. And so we're very grateful for the many, many things we're doing, including the launch of Dr. Pat's Green Christmas Challenge, which we mentioned a little bit about. But for me, because I'm a street smart kind of girl, the thing that I love to do is approach life in that way. It's got to make sense to me. It's got to be practical, and we've got to be able to implement it. And so that's what you're going to be hearing a lot about, how we're taking green to the streets in the way that we do many things. I want to invite you to tonight's show because, uh, wow, we have got a lot to talk about. And I want to say this, that you are welcome to call in at any point in time during the show. Get your questions up, and we'll be here to take them. So right out of the gate, the first thing I want to let everybody know is that the phone number that you can call in and write this down, it's toll free. I mean, BBS Radio has done a phenomenal job in making this station, these shows available to you. We are going to be taking calls. So we've got uh, this number, 877-876-5227, That's in the United States. But there are other uh, phone numbers on the website and direct lines and much information. I want to introduce you to my guest today, Dr. Walter Semtu. He's joining me here today. We have a lot to talk about. But I want to introduce you to him uh, initially, and then I want you to hear his story. So I don't want to take up a whole lot of time here talking about who he is, but I'll tell you that you know he has been, first and foremost, someone that has been out there independently researching reincarnation cases. And, you know, and has several different studies. So we've got lots to talk about. He's got a couple of different books and much on the website that I know will be of interest to you. Uh, and the website is www.johnadams.net, and you're going to find out why that is. And the books that I'm looking at are Return of the Revolutionaries and Born Again, Reincarnation Cases Involving International Celebrities, I cannot wait to talk about this. Uh, Dr. Walter, thank you so much for joining the show today. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me. This has been really incredible to prepare for the show. I, I, I prepare for all of my shows, and I do as much reading as I possibly can. Uh, but I want to start out with a question that I ask every single person I get to talk with. And the question is this. I just shared a little bit about your books, but your story is very, very deep in terms of your life experience. I want to start out of the gate by asking you, given that you've written these books, that you are coming out and talking about reincarnation, what are some of the challenges, what are some of the obstacles that you personally have had to overcome to bring you to this very moment? Well, I mean, for me personally, uh, I had to overcome an issue of believing what was happening to me uh, that was the first obstacle, mm -hmm. and maybe I should just start with that. The, the way that I got into this work is back in 1984, I went to a medium who 
was supposedly channeling people's spirit guides. And it was a time when I didn't even believe in psychics or mediums. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was interested in spirituality from an intellectual point of view, but I didn't really believe that, that psychics were valid. But I did it more as a, a lark for entertainment. I was living in Chicago. It was winter and not much else to do. And um, <clears throat> the medium worked much like uh, a fellow named Kevin Ryerson, uh, who I work with now. Kevin is probably the most famous trans medium in the world. He's worked with Shirley MacLaine for 30 years. He's featured in Out on a Limb. And uh, the way that a trans medium works, the way that Ke- Kevin works, is that they go into a meditative state and they allow a spirit being to take over their body. And, and they allow the spirit being thus to communicate with human beings. And typically when this occurs, the the person, Kevin's, Facial expressions change, the voice changes, mannerisms change. I mean, it's literally like there's a different person sitting in front of you. And and it was this type of medium that I went to, uh, to in 1984, but it was somebody other than Kevin Ryerson, but they worked just like them. And, and in this session, they told me about two past lives. They also told me about very personal things that, that I couldn't understand. How could they know uh, such personal items such as the relationship with my father Mm -hmm. um one of the lifetimes they told me was was that i was john adams uh from the american revolution and my initial reaction was that that was crazy and i I, I can only imagine what you would say yeah i mean i mean i I mean I, i want everyone that's listening to the show to, to get that, you know, if this is something that someone says to you, what's your reaction? And given who you were at the time, did you think, like, maybe everybody was out of their minds? Well, I, I had heard that psychics tell you tell people they're famous, somebody okay. famous in a past lifetime, uh, because that's what people want to hear. Uh-huh. Got you it. Know, so, so, and that's why we have, you know, 30,000 people who think they're Cleopatra and so forth. But... Um, so my first initial reaction was this can't possibly be, and and I've wasted my money, and, and I did nothing about it for another 12 years. And I am a medical doctor. I, mm-hmm. I was in training at the time that, that this uh, session happened, but I went on to establish my career, get a job, get a house, get married, get divorced, do all the normal things. And 12 years went by, and out of nowhere, um, this command came from inside it was like somebody had a megaphone inside my mind and they shouted out study the lifetime of atoms and it and it there was no particular reason why it should happen at that point in time 12 years later i was on business in hawaii and wasn't thinking about this at all but it was such a powerful experience that i couldn't deny it and that night i went to the Borders bookstore in Honolulu and got books on John Adams and the Revolution and started to read. And what they had told me back in 84 was if I studied Adams, I would see myself in physical attributes and personality, and that's what I saw. I, that's what I found, that in certain portraits, especially the from the Treaty of Paris uh, painting, that I looked exactly like him. Uh, the, the facial structure was identical. And then the personality traits were the same, both good and bad. And then I started to identify people who seemed to be reincarnated from his lifetime in my lifetime. So, for instance, Peter Adams, the brother of John Adams, 
I found a portrait of him in the Quincy Historical Society, and he, he's a dead ringer for my brother George. And and this kept on going, where I had about 60 proposed uh, matches. And, um, and it took me two years before I even started to think that this could possibly be true, you know, based on researching the lifetime of Adams. Then I started to believe it was true, but I was afraid to talk about it because I thought people would think I'm nuts and I would lose my job and so forth. Well, I mean, and that's a, and, and really what we're talking about, given the background, given the fact that you are a doctor, there's no doubt about it. There's a point in time that, uh, you know, not very long ago, where both of us would have been, you know, run out of town, so to speak, yeah. for having this conversation. Uh, but I want to say the pictures on your website, the pictures um, when, that I looked at of, of both you and John Adams that you have posted on your website, that is uncanny. I mean, that is, the, the, you look so much alike, like him. It is amazing to me. Yeah. And, and you know, I th- the one thing that I just want listeners to mm-hmm. know right away is that, that I'm just one case in, in my books, and it doesn't even matter if people believe my particular case as John Adams. What happened was that this inquiry led me to find many other cases that show the same phenomenon, that people look the same, have the same personality traits, that people come back in, in groups. And these are independently researched cases that have nothing to do with me. But, but have the same observations. And they in, include credible people like police captains, fire chiefs, neurosurgeons, and, and most importantly, cases that have been researched by Ian Stevenson at the University of Virginia show the same thing. So, so the important thing is to realize that there is a whole large number of cases coming out now that are showing this phenomenon. Oh, and, and we're going to talk about some of these cases. We're going to talk about some of the people that we're referring to. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you about something you've just said. You talked about people come back as individuals and people come back to, as groups. And I think it would be important to spend a few moments on talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, basically, that the observation that, that is being made is that souls come back together with people that they've known and loved before, people that they've worked with. And this is both based on karma, that you have karmic issues that you need to work out with an individual, and simply emotional attachments. We, we want to reincarnate with the people that we love, though, though the role can change. So, for instance, in the Revolutionary's book, my ex-wife is identified as my son in the past lifetime, Charles Adams. And, and it was actually the relationship, the relationship between John Adams and Charles Adams was the very worst one that, that existed for Adams. And, and they had a very tumultuous relationship. Uh, Adams wouldn't even talk to the son for the two years uh, before he died. The son died of alcoholism. And we had to come back together, I would say, to really get to know each other and appreciate each other. And, and I kind of joke around, what happens with the person you have absolutely the worst, worst karma with? You marry them. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's part of the reason why there are a lot of marriages that are bad, first marriages that are bad, because... Uh, are we picking up where we left off? 
Well, I, I look at it that that marriage is a crucible for karma. It's it's the most intense kind of relationship, and if you need to work out a lot of issues with somebody and want to get get it done with in a short period of time, that's the most effective way to do it. But then hopefully uh, you you get past that, and then you'll meet somebody who you truly are compatible with. And so, in, you know, as you talk about that, is that the case of, of you? Is that what's going on in your life at this point? Are, are you sensing that the way that your life is unfolding is a fulfillment of the soul's purpose? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And and one of the other things that you realize when you study how the, the cases evolve is that we all have a life destiny and that we're meant to meet the people that we're supposed to marry. I mean, we're these important relationships are pre-planned. And so, for instance, with my ex-wife, uh, I met her when I was just visiting Chicago. I was already living in, in California. We were both from Chicago. We just uh, I came to visit my mom. We we met and instantly fell in love. And within six months, we were married. And she had moved out to California. And and that's I'd like to point out that reincarnation is one of the best explanations for love at first sight. It's because there's a there's a karmic uh, or past life relationship that you're recognizing unconsciously. And for this to all happen, though, there was a destiny where we were brought together to meet. And and throughout the cases in in the books, it's clear that there is spiritual guidance guiding people so that they find information about their past lives. Well, there are a lot of different questions. One of the questions that you have posted on the website, which I want to really address, um, is the question of why is everyone famous in a past lifetime, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do address this, this, this question. Uh, and I, I guess what I'm asking is uh, it can't possibly be true that everyone is famous in a past lifetime, or is it? Well, no, not everybody's going to be famous, though if you look at it in the big picture, you know, most people uh, on average uh, will, will have had dozens of lifetimes by now. And the chances of you being someone of note uh, is fairly good. I mean, it, it depends on what you uh, qualify as being famous. But the the... There, there is a bias in this research in that to find somebody who's got a, uh, a trail, who's got documentation historically, for, for the most part they had to do something that uh, got them some notoriety, some fame, or we wouldn't have a historical record. Right, so, a public historical record of people that we would recognize. I mean, certainly there are individuals and people that, can go can go trace some instances back to private families, but certainly that would be a much more challenging, right. uh, yeah, challenging venture. Right, and and to counter that, I always want to bring up the cases of Ian Stevenson, which, if nothing else, I would like to bring Dr. Stevenson's work to public consciousness because it's it's phenomenal work, and and Stevenson was a psychiatrist at the University of Virginia. He just died in this last year, but he was the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at the School of Medicine at the university. He, 40 years ago, started to study children who spontaneously remember past lives. And he chose to study children because there, he thought there was the least 
chance of fabrication of memories. And, and in the typical Ian Stevenson case, which none of his cases involve famous people, past life famous people, in the typical Stevenson case, a child, as soon as they can speak, start telling their parents that, that their name is not what they're being called, that they had a different name, and that these parents are not really their parents. Their parents are named so-and-so. And this is not their village. This is not where they should be living, that their village is somewhere else, and they named the village. And the child gives enough information to the biologic family that they can actually find the past life family. And, and then the child, when reunited with the past life family, can name uh, the relatives uh, specifically without ever meeting them before in this lifetime. They will know family secrets that nobody outside of the family knew. And um, the, the past life family typically will accept the child as the reincarnation of their deceased loved one because they simply know so much. Well, Stevenson has compiled about 2,500 cases like this. Uh, his most famous book or popular book is called 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation. And, and if you read that with an open mind, I don't see how you cannot believe in reincarnation. But the thing that, that was a major milestone occurred in 1998. And what happened was Stevenson went back to Lebanon to investigate new cases. He, he was traveling with a reporter from the Washington Post called Tom Schroeder, and Schroeder was writing a book about Stevenson. And in addition to studying new cases, they revisited two cases that Stevenson had studied 25 or 30 years ago. And, and so Stevenson studied these two children. It's the cases of Daniel Jurdy and Suzanne Ghanem. And um, he studied these, let's say, back in the 70s. And, and these people were, were small uh, kids, like three, four years old. Now when he revisits them in 1998, they're full-grown adults. And it was the classic story where they remembered their past life name, they remembered their family name, where they lived. They were accepted as the reincarnation of their deceased loved ones, of the deceased loved ones from the past life family. Now, in 1998, they're full-grown adults, and Daniel Jurdy and Suzanne Ghanem look exactly like who, like they did in their past lives. And this is the same phenomenon that we've been observing in multiple other independently researched cases. And so what's happened in, in just since 1996, really, these cases have been emerging. And the fact that there is this observation that we look the same lends a whole new level of objectivity in studying reincarnation. Uh, the, the Stevenson cases are extremely powerful. And if you read them with an open mind, again, it's, it's uh, hard not to believe reincarnation. But the visual evidence of people looking the same is just stunning. And, and it's going to make reincarnation research uh, much, much more powerful. Well, I have to say that for many of uh, my listeners uh, tuning in right now, let me just remind everybody you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. And I'm here with Dr. Walter Semtu. We're talking about reincarnation, but also uh, this incredible uh, insight that he is providing us with. Uh, two books I want to point out to you, Return of the Revolutionaries and Born Again. And we're talking about international celebrities, people that are pretty well known, and how this all plays out in when we look at reincarnation. 
uh, and you, uh, Dr. Walter, for sure, your own life, your, this own conversation, what you shared with us about your past life and looking at your relationship to John Adams. We're not only talking now about what many people call, uh, you know, from a, the cosmic, you know, the cosmology of things. We're also looking at some physical characteristics, and I think isn't this isn't this true? Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't this really the first time that we really are looking at how people are reincarnated and how they are so closely uh, aligned with people from from previous lives? I mean, I was really struck by the picture that you have of George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's probably worth uh, talking about for a minute here in that we have a number of different people you outline in the book. For example, you outline Bill Clinton, Jefferson's cousin Peyton, and the heroes of Saratoga, Al Gore and George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting that there's a conversation about these folks and the relationships they had then and where they are now? Right, and, and it's, it's an example of how people come back in karmic groups, and they also tend to pursue uh, similar um, passions. They, the, the group that was involved in the American Revolutionary War uh, has reincarnated, and they're active now. Many of them are active now in U.S. politics. So George W. Bush was a military general, uh, named Daniel Morgan, and he was a soldier's soldier, and and we can understand better understand George W. Bush's mindset of sort of leaning towards military solutions because he has been a military man, and even uh, it's striking when you read about the individuals how the characteristics remain the same. For instance, when George, uh, uh, Daniel Morgan came out of the Virginia frontier. Biographers noted that he was, quote, of awkward speech. And, and, but he was a very brave man and, and went, went on to become one of the heroes of, of the American Revolutionary War. And in this lifetime, George W. Bush was observed to have difficulty sometimes with words, and some people thought he might be dyslexic. And, and you see these same patterns uh, coming out over and over. Uh, we've, w- one thing that I would, uh, like to point out in an independently researched case involving Jeff Keene, and Jeff Keene is a, a retired firefighter who has his own book called Somebody Else's Yesterday. We even did a formal linguistic analysis showing that the writing structure from his prior incarnation as John B. Gordon, a Civil War general, is exactly the same as it is in this lifetime. And he took a letter, Jeff took a letter that he wrote prior to finding out about his past lifetime, so there was no chance of bias, and a letter that John B. Gordon wrote. And we had a University of California linguist analyze them, analyze them and they're structurally the same. So we, we have the same mind. We think the same. We have the same passions. Uh, we're basically the same people, though the, the circumstances change, and hopefully we grow a little bit. Well, and, and, you know, you also talk about that, I mean, let's, let, let's, let's talk about that conversation about the Declaration of Independence. 
because you do talk about the fact that many of the signers of the Declaration of Independence have reincarnated in contemporary times. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've just talked about that. But then you also talk about the point that a number of them are involved in spiritual matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the people coming to the top of the list, I think, that our listeners would be interested in, <clears throat> of course, is uh, George Norrie, mm-hmm. the host of, uh, you know, Coast to Coast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people on, on this station are very, very familiar. And so I would have to, I would like to ask you the question. I mean, there is an analysis uh, on the website and I guess in the book as well where we look at this. Let's talk about George for a minute. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about <clears throat> how this conclusion, uh, how you came to this conclusion about him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one thing, let me just go back a little bit and pref- and explain how cases were derived. And there's two main sets of cases in my books and on the website. One is independently researched cases where people found out on their own who they were, and then upon researching that lifetime, they found portraits, and then they realized that they looked the same as the person that they had been in the past lifetime. Right, and and no relationship, which is interesting. Right. And right. at first glance, when you look at the pictures, you think, oh, what we're doing is we're finding two people who look the same, and we're making the hypothesis that it's a past lifetime. Mm-hmm. But in the independently researched cases, it works the other way around, where people found out either through direct memories or um, they, they were actually led to where they lived before and had an, an emotional reaction where they realized something happened here and they, they, they found out that uh, they had um, lived there before. In the case of Jeff Keene, he was led to the spot where he was actually almost killed before in the Civil War. And then through researching that incident, he, he realized that uh, he had this past lifetime. So, and, and then there's the whole set of cases that I have described of Ian Stevenson at the University of Virginia where children have spontaneous memories of past lives. So that's one set of cases. Another set of cases is are those that have been solved through Kevin Ryerson, who's the trans medium who's worked with Shirley MacLaine. Right. And what happened, I had st- we had started out about me talking about my story of being John Adams, well, yes. I was afraid to go out in public and talk to anybody about this because, again, I thought uh, they would think I was nuts. And so what what I did is I sought out various um, psychics and mediums to try to get corroboration. And they all said yes, but then I went away thinking, well, how do, how do I know that, that they're right? And the breakthrough came when I started to work with Kevin Ryerson. And Kevin channels uh, a spirit guide named Atun Ray, and who hasn't lived for over 3,000 years. He's been uh, uh, watching, observing human evolution from the spiritual world. Well, the breakthrough came when I started to ask Atun Ray about cases where I had no hypothesis. It's easy if I go to somebody and say, am I the reincarnation of John M's? They can say yes or no, and, and whether they're right or not, you know, I don't know. But... But what I did is I asked Atun Ray, for instance, who was Ralph Nader in a prior lifetime. I knew that that the group from the revolution seemed to be reincarnated, especially in the election of 2000, presidential election of 2000. But I couldn't figure out who Nader could have been. And so I asked who Nader was, and Atun Ray told me that he was a fellow named Thompson, very specific information, who was a major player in the Continental Congress, 
and that if I found his portrait, I would observe the same angular facial features. Well, Thompson was not a signer of the Declaration, and it took me a long time to actually find him. Uh, this was before Google, and, and I actually had to go to libraries and go through uh, dozens of books. And it, and it was in an old book that was published in 1938 that I found in the index, Thompson, Charles Thompson. And he was the secretary of the Continental Congress for the full 13 years of its existence. And, I, and there was a portrait, and he's a dead ringer for Ralph Nader. And then I found, I read about Thompson, got biographies, and it turned out that, that he, his thought was exactly the same as Nader's. And in the Revolutionaries book, I take quotes from, from Thompson and quotes from Nader and compare them and show that they're writing about the same thing. They have the same thought patterns. A similar case involves Carl Sagan and his past life relationship as, as David Rittenhouse, who turns out to be the first uh, American astronomer. And another case is Neil Donald Walsh, who Atunre identified as a minister in revolutionary Boston, who was totally unknown. And it took a great deal of research to find this person. But then the facial features matched and everything matched from a personality-wise. So then I realized that it, it appeared that I indeed have access to this spirit guide who can make accurate past life matches. So a certain set of cases have been derived through Atun Ray, and, and George Norrie was, was one of these. Well, in, in, there are many, many cases that you identify on the website. I want to make sure everybody has the website, so if you're listening to the show, you can certainly follow along. Uh, and more importantly, I want to make sure that everybody out there that's listening to the show, if you've got comments or questions, you could give us a call at any time, 877-876-5227. 877-876-5227, and we'll take your call. You know, my guest today, as I said before, Dr. Walter Semkew is joining us here, and all of the things we're talking about are detailed, and I want to say seriously detailed in the books that he has written. And so you can certainly go to the website to get a sense of what we're talking about, but you, if, you, if this is an area that is of interest to you, then you're going to want to get a copy of the books. You know, um, Dr. Walter, one of the things that I wanted to talk about in terms of helping us all understand about reincarnation is this thread, this fine line, let's call it, you know, you can almost call it, uh, a, you know, a, a, a quantum connection between lives that it's hard for us uh, to to really grasp. Some people actually won't entertain the idea. And yet at the same time, many people intuitively relate to people of the past and they feel it. I mean, I think Hal, Hal Berry was one of those folks, mm -hmm. you know, where you relate to someone and you relate to that individual in a, in, a, in a very deep way, and sometimes you don't have the language to understand that, and then what happens, you actually act out that persona in this lifetime. In her case, she literally acted it out, correct? Yeah, uh, the Dorothy Dandridge, Halle Berry case is one of my favorites, and, and um, Dorothy Dandridge was an African-American actress who... Uh, wanted to win the Oscar, but, but didn't get it. And in part, many people believe it was because she was African-American when there was prejudice right. uh, in Hollywood. And 
she reincarnated as Halle Berry, who then uh, went on to fulfill the dream of winning an Oscar. The interesting thing is that Halle Berry went to great lengths to make a movie about Dorothy Dandridge called Introducing Dorothy Dandridge, and she starred in it. And the I, I call these affinity cases where people are drawn to, to their own past life uh, identity. And so Halle here went back and did this movie about Dorothy Dandridge, and when you look at the facial features, they're identical. I mean, they're the cheekbones. I mean, it's the same face. And um, it, it just goes to show how we continue uh, our passions and can fulfill uh, something that was unfulfilled in a prior lifetime. Well, and one of the interesting facts about the uh, um, Halle Berry and uh, Dorothy Dandridge comparison uh, goes beyond the pictures because, I mean, you, you also have conversation and quotes here that talk about the parallel in Dandridge's personal life and then also in uh, Halle Berry's personal life. Yep. And so, you know what I'm saying? So even though there may be some things that get played out and accomplished in their, this life, there may be also be some other things that, uh, uh, you know, come along. Well, an interesting thing in regards to this case and story is that Halle Berry became friends with one of Dorothy Dandridge's best friends named Jerry Branton. And Jerry now is, you know, 60s or so or, or possibly older. And she she met Halle when Halle was working on the Dorothy Dandridge movie. And Jerry Branton made the comment to a, a journalist that it was incredible how similar Dorothy, I'm sorry, Halle was to, to Dorothy, that not only do they look alike, but the personalities are the same, and they, they have the same quality. So um, you can imagine if a deceased relative of yours showed up and claimed to be the reincarnation uh, of, of this loved one of yours, you would know pretty quickly based on their mannerisms and personality, and that's essentially what happened in the Halle Berry, Dorothy Dandridge reincarnation. Uh, and, and it's it's pretty clear when you go look at the website and, uh, you know, you see the comparisons that are made. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I mean, some of these to me um, are, are pretty obvious, but some of them are not. Uh, I wanted to take a moment to talk about, and eerie is the word I think I want to use, but eerie is not what I mean. What I mean is uh, there is, uh, uh, you know, the comparison when we look at Anne Frank and we look at the reincarnation of Anne Frank. Mm -hmm. And you talk about this at length. And the case is extraordinary when we look at it. And it's hard for me, putting myself in the shoes of another, how this must feel to, uh, to sense that you've come back as Anne Frank. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that, uh, because I think that for most people, it will help answer a lot of questions of what people feel, especially at an early age. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think Barbara Carlin's case, in, in which she is identified as the reincarnation of Anne Frank, is the most important one, or one for me at least, because mm -hmm. the, the reason I'm actually passionate about this is because I see how evidence of reincarnation can transform society for the better. Mm -hmm. Because 
the reincarnation cases demonstrate that we can change religion, race, ethnic origin, nationality from lifetime to lifetime. And and the Anne Frank case is is the epitome of this, where Anne Frank, who was persecuted as a Jew and died in the Holocaust, reincarnated into a woman, Barbara Carlin, who was born into a Christian family in Sweden. And I point out that 70 years ago, if the German people knew that you could be born Jewish in one lifetime and Christian in another, then the Holocaust could never have happened. And similarly, these cases can get people, uh, Sunnis, to stop fighting with Shiites and and Israelis to stop fighting with Palestinians when they realize that we're universal souls and these temporary identifications that we make based on religion or our ethnic group are, are superficial and they're not really important. The, the Anne Frank case is extremely compelling because it represents a case similar to the Ian Stevenson cases at the University of Virginia where she had spontaneous memories as a child. When she was only two or three years old, she told her parents, my, my name is not Barbara, it's Anna Frank. And her parents did How old was she? Let's, let's make sure everybody heard that. About three years old. Okay. Well, she, I just she, want everybody that's listening to the show to really get a sense of the magnitude of that. You know, three years old, right? I mean, what are we pretty much saying at three? And she was born in 1954, so, you know, this case has evolved over 50 years. Right. So when she, when she told her parents her name was Anna Frank, they didn't even know who Anna Frank was because the diary of Anne Frank had not yet been published in Sweden. So they, didn't, they had no idea of what she was talking about. But you she, know, Dr. Walter, I want to put this in perspective for a minute because the story that you're about to share with our listeners is pretty incredible. But I, I really want to make a point for everyone listening to the show. You're listening to the show on an internet station that is reaching hundreds of co- over hundreds of, of, of countries, that is being listened to at different times of the day right now. That's going to be listened to over and over and over again. It's going to be downloaded. It's going to be shared. Some of you are going to put it on a CD and give it as a stocking stuffer. But that is not what was happening in 1954. And the point that I think you're making, Dr. Walter, I don't want to blow by because it is really an important one. If you can imagine what it was like, some of you that may have been born back then, in 1954, television was hardly a phenomenon. And so here you have an individual that that says, you know, Barbara is not my name. It is on Frank. I mean, this is an incredible statement and a conversation to be having. Uh, did her parents even know what that, who that was? No, they no. they had no idea no. because the the diary, the book that that made Anne Frank famous, had not been published yet. And she she continued to talk about this lifetime throughout her early years. She remembered the concentration camp. She remembered dying. She remembered the attic where the family hid. She remembered being arrested. And, but she was all alone. She had no one who really supported her. Her, her parents thought she was fabricating all of this. The, the big change came when she was about 10 years old, and by now the diary of Anne Frank was out. People knew, her parents knew who Anne Frank was. And they went on a tour of European cities, including Amsterdam, where the Anne Frank house is located. 
And the father wanted to go see the Anne Frank house, which was now a museum. It's still a museum. And he picked up the phone at their hotel to get a cab to take them there. And Barbara tells him, uh, you don't need a cab. We don't need a cab. It's right near here. I'll show you. And he said, well, how could you? You've never been here. And she goes, I don't know. I'll just show you. And she then led, she took her parents by the hands and led them on a 10-minute walk through the winding streets of Amsterdam directly to the Anne Frank house. And she says, I knew exactly where I was. And and that's no easy feat. I mean, I got lost in Amsterdam because everything looks the same. The buildings exactly. all look the same. Right. And the can- canals are right. all very confusing. <laughs> and and once she was in her her parents were dumbfounded that she did this then they went inside the house and she turned to this wall and she said look mommy the pictures of the the movie stars are still on the wall and barbara notes that it actually gave her some comfort you know that she was back home and her mom looked at the wall and saw that there was nothing there and pointed this out to barbara and barbara saw that indeed there was nothing on the wall and she started to cry. She was confused, and, and and her mother then said, well, let's ask the tour guide. And they asked the tour guide fellow, and, and he said, yes, normally pictures that Anne Frank had clipped of the movie stars are on that wall, but we took them down to get uh, mounted behind glass because people were touching them and damaging them and taking them. And, and Barbara says that that was the moment that her parents finally realized that what she was talking about was true. And, and her mother became a very strong supporter of her. But her father, uh, he reacted this way. He said, well, maybe you've been reincarnated. I, I don't know how else you knew how to get here. I don't know how else you knew the pictures were supposed to be there. But, but you're the only one who's reincarnated. And he didn't want to talk about it anymore. And it was because he had this Christian worldview that he did not want to have upset. But it, but it was comforting for Barbara to have uh, her mom's supporter. The other thing that's important to note, one of the things I, I stress is how talents come through the same. And really, um, reincarnation is the way that we can explain child prodigies. And Anne Frank became the symbol of the Holocaust not because she was the only one who died in the Holocaust. She became the symbol because she wrote this wonderful diary that everybody loved reading. And it, it made the whole experience very real. And people were, were uh, amazed at how such a young girl, you know, 13, 14 years of age, was writing about such profound topics like good and evil and, and could write in such a manner. And the diary became a bestseller because of the writing. And Barbara Carlin, just like Anne Frank, became a child prodigy writer. And and she, at the age of 12, was writing for herself, just like Anne Frank. Anne Frank wrote for herself. She had no idea that her diary would become the second most read book in the world next to the Bible. Well, Barbara was writing for herself as a kid, and somebody a family friend saw this is good it should be published and indeed barbara's writings got put together in a book and be- and published at age 12 and became the best selling poetry book in swedish history and she had 12 books published uh, in the next few years so she she 
not only had the memories, but she demonstrated the same ability and talent. And then the, the, the way that I heard about this case, Barbara actually didn't write her book till 1996 when she was in her mid-40s. And I heard about it in 2000, and my reaction was, again, skeptical. You know, it's right. Everybody thinks there's somebody famous. But I, I met Barbara, and I spoke to her, and I realized, oh, my God, I think she's real. And, and I'm the one I'm the first one who ever looked at the picture issue because I I was studying all these other cases where people look the same and and I and Barbara Carlin has the same face as Anne Frank and and it's on the website and, and oh absolutely and let's make sure everybody has the website for those of you tuning in uh, you can find out more about Dr. Walter uh, Simcue uh, on the website. You can go to www.johnadams.net, johnadams.net. But also, uh, so much of this is outlined in the books I have in front of me, Return of the Revolutionaries uh, and Born Again. And so, you know, Return of the Revolutionaries, the case for reincarnation, reincarnation and soul groups reunited, I mean, that is even a bigger conversation than the conversation about, okay, I'm reincarnated as, uh, XYZ is reincarnated as Dr. Pat, hosted the Dr. Pat show. I mean, you know, we're talking about contingencies, groups of people that are reincarnated to, as some people would say, to get things right. I mean, that's one way to look at it. How do you look at it? Well, it's, it's a combined process. One, you reincarnate for your own personal reasons okay. to, to work on yourself. And though this is a whole different topic, you know, there, there, my conclusion is that uh, there are levels on the spiritual world that we go to. Um, and, you know, one thing I, I've, I've mentioned that I've been working with Kevin Ryerson and Atun Ray, and yes. I've established this relationship with a spirit being who hasn't incarnated in 3,000 years. He's lived in the spirit world all this time. Well, I've gone ahead now and worked with him to really try to outline and understand what the spirit world is like. And basically, there are different levels that, that we uh, want to live in. And, and we are drawn to the level of consciousness that, that basically we attain on Earth. So if we, and we're we're drawn to similar communi- communities. So if you're uh, somebody who is a criminal and basically is is doing things that aren't right, when you die, you go to a community with other people like that, and that's your surroundings. The higher that you ascend in your own consciousness, you then get to ascend in the spiritual world to similar communities of like-minded beings. So part of the reason we reincarnate really is to advance our own spiritual development so that we can get to these higher levels. You know, it's like getting to a better neighborhood in the U.S. uh, or or in the physical world. A second part of it is that we all have um, a desire to uh, make the world a better place. I mean, many of us do. So part of the reason that people come back, especially those who are fairly developed is to try to make things better on earth so and and one of the things i had asked Atin ray is how what percentage of people on the planet actually did not have to reincarnate and and the buddhist 
talk about it, this term called bodhisattvas, where people mm-hmm. come back out of compassion for others. And I was really quite amazed when he said that actually 20% of the population on the, on the planet today did not have to reincarnate. And at first that took me really aback, but then I realized I know so many people who work so hard on the behalf of others, you know, and I am a medical doctor, and, and I, I see doctors working very, very hard uh, for others. And, and then it all seemed to make more sense. And so part of the reason we incarnate, too, is to do something good for the world. And, okay. I, and I believe, actually, that the people who are coming together on this reincarnation research project have done so with intent. We, mm-hmm. we plan to do it. And, in fact, um, I, I can tell you this story, but uh, Barbara Carlin, I think, was led. Uh, we were led together so that, that we, we would work together because Barbara was very quiet about her story. Even though she wrote her book, it's a, it's been a, it's a painful thing. I mean, the, her memories of being Anne Frank are very painful. Well, that's what I alluded to when we were yeah. talking about it. I mean, I could hardly, I, I, you know, as I was, I was reading about it, I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, I can't even imagine that at age three having memories like that because, I mean, that's not something that's going to go away. Yeah, it, it mean, was very hard for her, and, mm-hmm. it, and the scenario is much different. And even back in 1996 when Barbara came out with her book, and she was getting large audiences in Europe, uh, she was all by herself. Yeah. She, she had no other cases to put in context which support her. Now we have a plethora of cases that are like hers that support her case. Well, you know, we, and let's talk about Shirley MacLaine for a minute mm-hmm. uh, because we, you know, we, we alluded to uh, the conversation about Shirley MacLaine and, and, and also uh, some, of the, the, some of the discoveries that we're talking about here today. But don't you think that Shirley, Shirley MacLaine sort of came out of the closet? Yeah, and, and she's actually in Revolutionary. She's identified as a, a signer of the Declaration by the name of uh, Robert Morris. And even Kevin Ryerson is identified as a signer named Philip Livingston. So there is there is a group of the people from the American Revolution who are active in politics now, like Gore, Clinton, Bush, Nader. But there's also a subgroup that are involved in sort of, you could call it a, a spiritual revolution. You know, you made a statement earlier, and I wanted to get back to it, uh, and the statement that you made was that many folks are coming back to do good. Mm-hmm. Is the reverse true? Are there folks that come back to do no good, so to speak? Uh, and more importantly, what we would categorize, even though I don't believe in it, we would categorize as evil. Well, there are people who are more primitive souls who come back and repeat the same errors. Okay. So, so that does happen. That, that's a, a kind of nice way of talking about that <laughs> yeah and you know in the long run they all have to evolve and graduate from planet earth too but um there are many cases that we have where where individuals came back and repeated mistakes and i i'm not actually gonna i don't want to reveal this no. case yet because it's not published but we have a past lifetime for charles manson and he looks just like he was and and he was kind of a shady character before, but he he kind of made even worse mistakes. It, it appears this time around. 
So you, you can, hopefully we all progress with time, but you can fall back and, and uh, do bad things and get yourself in trouble. Well, you know, the website that you have, johnadams.net, I want to mention that to everyone. Dr. Walters, SEMQ, is joining me here today. Lots of information on the website and, uh, uh, boy, an outline of how the cases are derived. I mean, you've got a lot of cases, pictures of people side by side, and people you can, you can, you can make, come to your own conclusions. You know, as you do this work and you continue to formulate and bring the research to the surface, I mean, you've identified a number of different people. Uh, other than uh, you, the folks we've talked about, is there is there anyone, any reincarnation of someone that you have here that just blows you away? Well, one of the uh, things that fascinates me is how patterns come back. And uh-huh. so I'd like to just mention a couple of the artist cases. Yes. The artist Paul Gauguin is reincarnated, as is Picasso. Uh-huh. And, and uh, they both have replicated the life patterns that they did before. Uh, Paul Gauguin was somebody who was a world traveler. He was a happy-go-lucky kind of person who didn't even start painting seriously until middle age or middle life. Uh, he got into business first and, and got a family, had a family, and it was only when he was a little older that he started to paint seriously. In this lifetime, Paul Gauguin is Peter Kekamp, and he replicated the same life pattern. And what's really amazing is that he drew the same sketches that Gauguin did earlier in life, though, without ever knowing that he was replicating Gauguin's sketches. And these are in the Born Again book, and they're also on the website, where you'll see four sketches, four pairs of sketches, where where Gauguin and, and Peter T. Camp basically did the same sketches, but Peter did these unconsciously. So he was drawing the pictures from his own past lifetime and recreating them. Uh, and to me, I believe that those four paired sketches sometime will be a, a historic uh, uh, image because it, it shows um, how we are so much the same as before. Uh, Picasso reincarnated as a child prodigy named Alexandra Nikita, who started to do Picasso-like art at the age of two or three. She started to paint faces with uh, two faces, figures with two faces and four eyes. She she was so prolific, her parents thought they were going to go bankrupt because she was going through art supplies. She was called the Petite Picasso at the age of eight. She was featured on CBS Sunday Morning and on Oprah, and um, and has now gone on. She's only 20 years old or so, 2021, right. and her oils now go for $100,000. And if you look at the pictures that you presented in the book, and I wanted to say this, because there's two things that I notice about the work that you've done. One, of course, is the pictures. Mm-hmm. The other thing is what I call reading the vibration and the energy, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's what's the same. Yeah, and the um, really the thing I'm so grateful for is I got permission from Alexandra's family to oh. use her artwork and her picture in the Born Again book, and you know they didn't need to do this. I mean, Alexandra's set for life already on her own based on what she's accomplished thus, thus far. 
But, you know, her mother said she doesn't know how else to explain the talent, you know, where it came from. And her mother, luckily, is a believer in reincarnation. And it, it all just fell together. And it wasn't only until a year later, um, after the Born Again, Born Again book came out, that I realized that there was even more depth to this case. I went to meet Alexandra, gave her the Born Again book, and now she was selling a book of art uh, that just came out. Of, of her art, and I realized that in the paintings she had done in the past, she had replicated the, the the Picasso's masterpiece Guernica in a painting called The Day of 9-11, of September 11th, which was a tribute to the loss of the Twin Towers, mm-hmm. and it's a massive canvas like Guernica with the same figures, the same outstretched arms. Uh, in another painting, she has the horse from Guernica. Guernica's there's a famous horse head in the middle of the painting. And she has a painting uh, called Past Life Theory. That's the name of the painting, where it's the painting, it's the picture of the horse head from Guernica, but the horse head has breasts, you know, at the bottom of the uh-huh, neck. Right. So she herself has been contemplating this issue. Well, so, well the other thing that I wanted to mention, and I, I read this in the book, was that she started to draw at age four, as we're talking about. She started to draw like Picasso at age four. Mm -hmm. But it was, what I was struck by was that her first art show, the one that she had when she was, I think, what was it, she's seven or eight years old, that was the same day she went to see a Picasso exhibit for the first time. Yeah, and one thing that is evident throughout these cases is spiritual guidance and these meaningful coincidences that, that... Sort of this, this is how the spiritual world gives us messages. It is. And, you know, this is how, uh, given what we've talked about today and given uh, uh, all that you have written, uh, first of all, let me thank you, uh, uh, Dr. Semtu, for joining us here today. And uh, the website, of course, is johnadams.net. Given that last statement you made about spirituality, what is it that we can know and understand? about the energies we feel as we close this show tonight, what could we know about the energies we feel? What could we know about our soul's purpose from your work? Well, simply what you're passionate about, you should pursue. You know, what you love to do is is something that is good to pursue. Um, The talents that you have, the predispositions, predispositions that you've had, mm. you've demonstrated in, in lifetimes in the past, and you, you will in the future. I think the key thing that, that I'm learning that I think we all need to learn uh, more is not to compete, not to compare each other, one to another, not to be uh, envious or um, jealous, mm. that, that these sorts of negative qualities are the the whole reason that we're on this planet is mm. is we we until we can give up these negative qualities we're going to keep coming back and so you know life is a gift for us as, to do this you know you can think of the spiritual world as kind of a dream world where you can't really hurt anybody nothing has real consequence and so to really know what you're like uh, you need to come to earth because it's a testing ground. Here you can do bad things. Here you can hurt people. And and you, before you are, allo- are allowed 
to the higher realms, which may involve more power and, and uh, more responsibility, you have to sort of prove yourself on this plane. Wow, what a powerful message that is. That certainly is a message for many people listening to the show, and certainly for myself, where we get faced with the challenges of what our soul is calling us to do. And we have moments, Dr. Walter, where we think it's possible to walk away. But I think what you've just demonstrated is when we have those moments that come up that challenge the very core and essence of who we are and call us to persevere, boy, it sounds like we better say yes or we might find ourselves right back here. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the bad thing is on Earth we've gotten to this tendency of celebrating the ego, you know, where uh. the Terminator is cool. And then people replicate that behavior, which is you're going in the wrong direction. Then. Mm, absolutely. Wow. Thank you uh, so much for joining us today. I want to mention to all our listeners, boy, we've only just talked a little bit about uh, Dr. Walter SMQ's work. Uh, the books that we were referring to today are Born Again, Reincarnation Cases Involving, International Celebrities, India's Political Legends and Film Stars, and then, of course, Return of the Revolutionaries. Uh, boy, Carolyn Mace talks about this as well. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, how, anything you want to leave our listeners with, your personal message? Well, um, I, reincarnation research is going to continue to grow. The consciousness is going to grow. Born Again has been attributed to fast-tracking this movie, Om Shanti Om, that's become the biggest grossing movie in Indian history. So um, hold on to your seats. I think we're just beginning. Thank you so much for joining the show today. What an incredible story, and boy, lots to read about. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. As usual, if you want to find out more about us, and I've got over a 1,000 shows on my website, go to www.drpatshow.com, drpatshow.com. Sign up for a newsletter. We've got amazing things happening uh, and lots of gifts to give. As a matter of fact, today we gave away uh, unlimited uh, copies of several books, and you'll find out more about that. I would like to, again, uh, thank Dr. Walter SMQ for joining us. And as you go forward this week, please step out in confidence. Keep your head up high. Know that you have the power within you to create the life that you desire. Until next week, know that you are loved and know that you are blessed. We'll see you then. <laughs>